0: You guys are, you know, that's one thing Paul always did, he, he repeated himself in scripture and we can see that. In fact, he told one of the churches, he said that for me to say the same thing unto you over and over again is, is, a, is, is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. In fact, the Bible says that it is safe for you. And so as we often say, we're thankful this morning that we have God's word. Can you imagine, brethren, where we would be without it? Without its direction, without its guidance, Howard just prayed about it. And uh, it's so needful and certainly important for us. And we've been just, you know, so amazingly going verse by verse down through this glorious letter of 1 Thessalonians. And again, we remember that this letter is unique in many ways. In that it uh, is one of the letters in Scripture where... There is no condemnation. There's no condemnation really to the brother. There is correction, but no utter outward condemnation. And so, uh, and it's also one of those letters where uh, Wendy and I were talking last night where it's very practical. <laughs> and, and what I mean, she goes, she goes, Mike, I, I pray after we're done with these that you'll, the Lord will guide you to another book where it's so practical and so useful in the life of the church and in, the individual Christians. In fact, the Apostle Paul, about 1950 years ago, just stunning, think about that, brethren, just when you consider the length of time that the letters have been put in the canon, you know, some 1950 years ago, the Apostle Paul was led by the Holy Ghost to pen these inspired words to his son in the Lord, Timothy, and listen carefully this morning. He said this, but refuse profane old wives' fables, and exercise thyself unto godliness. And brethren, exercise is the word this morning that we're going to hear a lot of. He says, for bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. So in other words, Paul is telling Timothy there as he's writing to this young pastor, His pastoral epistle to him. That he is to exercise, if you will, spiritual godliness. Now, we understand, brethren, as you consider exercise. I think we all can, you know, we can relate to that word. Amen? The word exercise means to train, to use, to practice habitually. To practice habitually. To be fine-tuned and fit in the inner man. To train and strengthen one's godly. Remember last week we talked about the mindset. To train and be finely fit within one's godly mindset. That's what it means. But brethren, godly exercise does not happen by osmosis. (laughs) Godly exercise does not happen by osmosis. I remember when I was first saved, when the Lord first saved me. And the pastor who he used, the man who he used, just lays Bible out there. And uh, and I remember he'd, he'd teach me the scripture. And i just say to him, man, I wish I could just take the side of my brain right here, my temple, and just lean it right up against yours. And then by osmosis, have that knowledge of the word of God come in. It doesn't work that way, brethren. Neither does godly exercising. It does not work that way. I mean, how do you think I got like this? I mean, do you think it was because I, 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 I worked out? No, <laughs> brethren. Godly exercise is indeed important to the church. And we must indeed uh, hear what Paul would have to say. In fact, we're going to see this morning that this godly exercise takes place by the grace of God. Listen, in a very specific and intentional manner by us, by the people of God. And again, this stuff doesn't happen by accident or by osmosis. There's a very specific and intentional way in which God calls us to exercise our godly mindset towards one another and towards those who are definitely brethren on the outside. In fact... When one does this, when we stay within the bounds of Scripture, you find out very soon uh, that you don't have to look very far for the will of God. (laughs) You ever talk to somebody, what's the will of God? When you stay within the confines of Scripture, brethren, you don't have to look very far because there's a whole lot of Scripture that tells us what the will of God is. In fact, if you look there in verse number 18, carefully, brethren, look there if you would. He says right here, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God, for you in Christ Jesus, while concerning you. Again, this was something that Paul was deeply concerned with, was having the brethren who are in the fellowship and within the church, understanding and knowing what the will of God is for them. In fact, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Just back up there a little bit. This is something that he was greatly concerned with. And this is something, brethren, that we should be greatly concerned with. Again, the practicality, the usefulness, the relevance of Scripture is such a stunning thing to me. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at verse number 3. For this is the will of God for you, even what? Even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel and sanctification. I don't We looked at this. This is the will of God for us, brethren. That is that we control our bodies, that we control ourselves in a holy and godly way. Not a question. I understand that. I know what that is. What one must do then is ask the God, the Holy Spirit, to then what? To apply that principle to us so that we can live out this godly will in our lives. Look at what Paul says here in Romans. Again, this is something that the Apostle Paul was very concerned with. Something we as pastors and elders, something that we as Christians should be concerned with. The will of God. Look at Romans chapter 12. Again, a very familiar passage our Elder Howard has preached on this text. And quite finally, I might add. But I want you to see here again what Paul says. Look at Romans chapter 12. Look at verse number 1. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Look at verse number two again. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye what? Transformed, the Bible says, by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove. Now, brethren, again, this is so important, again, because our flesh likes to get in the way. It likes to take us here. It likes to take us over here. But we must have the sound teaching of Scripture, that you may what? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and what perfect will of God. What is it that pleases God? What is his will for me that I could please him? Now that word prove, again, brother, this is amazing when you consider the the, the 14, if you will, exercises that we're going to see in our text. 14 of them. You'll be so busy practicing and exercising these things, you're not going to have to worry about looking outside of Scripture to figure something out. How you should live. How we should act. How we should be towards one another. Amazing. It's just amazing. And yet, Men today, and I'm using that as a general term, they always want more. I I need more. I'm seeking more. How can you seek more when you can't even dive into this? We're to prove. That, brethren, is an action verb. That That is a religious, if you will, a biblically religious exercise to prove. It's an action verb. You know what action verbs are? I mean, we could have an English lesson this morning, but I think we all know what an action verb is. And you notice there, that word prove means to discern, to examine, to approve. All action verbs that are intentionally exercised by God's people. And again, this is the idea. Exercising. That is an action. Just something that we do is quite amazing. Paul in our text this morning directs our religious affections again as I said to 14 now brethren I know what you're thinking pastor Mike can't even get through 14 words in one sermon how's he going to get through these 14 we're not going to do all 14 this morning brother but we're going to lay the groundwork we're going to look at this we're going to see the 14 godly exercises that that uh, God has instructed Paul to pen down in for eternity For the churches in our era, in every era of time until the Lord comes to read this and go, how then should we be? How then should I act? How then should I live? And we see this here, brethren, uh, if you will, these 14 intentional and specific spiritual exercises. They are divinely designed. And again, this is the thing, brethren. We must always consider the divineness of holy writ, the uh, infallibility of scripture the truthfulness of the word. We must always consider this when we're looking at these sorts of things. It is divinely designed to strengthen us individually and then, brother, also, as we assemble ourselves together in the Lord corporately. This is something, listen, you know, the pastor doesn't get up on Sunday morning and preach a sermon to you, then you're supposed to leave and forget what he said. Even myself, may the word of God sink deep so that when I leave, I live it out. So that the world sees that we're children of God. It's a stunning thing. And yet, we live in a world today, we were talking last night, and these Western culture, these Western ideas, totally unbiblical for the most part. It is a stunning thing to behold and to see. It really is. So as we gather together, look at what Paul says here in our text. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at verse number 14. Again, These again, this letter has been so good for us. It's been so good for me to, again, as we pray and ask God then to apply this, like Howard prayed. It must be applied by the power of the Spirit of God, or brethren, we are not going to submit to it. I promise you that. And this is a thing that we're working on constantly. That one in, a, in, a, in your Christian walk, you should never stop. You should never say, I know it all, I've arrived. You never arrive. You must continually, by this grace and by God's Spirit, be working to bring, as we're going to see here in Paul's message last week, that we be at peace with ourselves. The only way to be at peace with ourselves is to exercise these things that Paul is laying out by the, by the Spirit of God. That's why there's no peace in the churches. That's why there's no peace amongst ourselves. Because again, we are, as I said last week, it originates where? From us. It comes from us. And therefore, Paul is saying, by the Spirit of God, we must indeed submit ourselves to these glorious, godly exercises. No question about that. Look what he says there in verse number 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, And and brethren, 14 and 15 is all we're going to get through today. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. That's number one. Comfort the feeble-minded, number two. (laughs) See, I'm a Baptist and I, I, I don't even need an outline. The Bible gives me one. One, two, three. Here's what we're going to see in the verse. Number one, we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, and be patient unto all men. Now, brother, we could spend a lot of time. There's, there's a lot of depth here in this text all by itself. But I, what I want us to notice and what I want us to see and what I want us to pray that the Lord will uh, put deep down into our hearts by the Holy Ghost, we remember that in verses 12 and 13, that the Apostle Paul has just finished beseeching. In this verse, he's exhorting. In, in, in 12 and 13, he's beseeching the brethren. You remember last week? Again, the hardships of leaders in a church cannot be over or underscored. Amen? As we have all felt things, we've all dealt with things. But he's beseeching the brethren there to teach, or to, to if you will, submit to the leaders of the church and love them in such a way. Amen. And you see there when we do that, again, in 12 and 13, you remember how he closes that. Again, let's just read that quickly there in verse number 13. He says, And esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. And so he continues here. One of the ways that there's peace within the church is when somebody, whoever's a member of the church or someone who has an issue with one of the leaders or whatever it might be, when they come and it's, and it's handled biblically. It's handled biblically. It's not gossip here and it's not you know slam the preacher fest every Sunday some people do that I had a lady criticize me because I walked too fast to the pulpit she wouldn't come back I walked too fast to the, you got to be kidding me that's brethren when you know your eyes are not on the Lord they're not on what his will is it's on your will When you're criticizing the pastor because he walks too fast to the pulpit. Did anybody notice if I walk too fast this morning? I'm just asking. Nobody, nobody looks at that except people who are not exercising godly mindsets. He tells them if you want peace amongst yourselves, first of all, you should indeed. And we talked about the reciprocating, reciprocating relationship how the elders act and how the congregation then acts towards them, right? We remember, I don't want to go through that again, but that's an important piece. The elder can't rule with an iron fist. An elder can't rule that way. He must rule in a loving way as an under-shepherd of the great shepherd, realizing that you belong to Christ, not to the elders, not to the leaders of the church. However, then, you are to submit yourselves. When they are lovingly guiding you and leading you, you are to submit to their guidance and to their direction. I use marriage as an example. When men are loving their wives that they ought to and doing the things like Christ loved the church and all those things like your own flesh, your wife will indeed submit and fall under your authority. If you are not, they will not. And I certainly understand that. But Paul here, Again, in verse 14, he he tells them to exercise their godly mindset. He exhorts them in this text. He literally incites them unto, if you would, good, laudable, and holy deeds towards one another. So it's first towards the leaders. Now it's towards one another. How do we behave one another? He's, He's exhorting them to, if you will, act a certain way towards one another within the meeting, within the church meeting. And this first one is one that people do not like. He first, he says, Warn them who are unruly. Warn them who are unruly. People don't like that. People don't like that when someone's outside of the will of God and the elders of the pastor says, You're outside of that. That word unruly is very important. It literally means those who are out of order, those who are out of line, lazy, idle, Acting in defiance of good order. It's a military term. Anybody who's been in the military can certainly understand that. It's a military term, which literally means a soldier marching out of beat or out of line. Paul says, warn them who are unruly. That's what we must do. In fact, it's interesting we remember the whole theme of First Thessalonians. You guys remember the one thing that is in every chapter? Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. Do you remember what it is? I I pray you do. It is the second coming of Christ. He's writing this letter in the the shadow of that. And it's interesting here that he tells the elders, the leaders of the church, to warn those who are unruly. How are they being unruly? Well, I'm glad you asked because he addresses it. Right here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look back there, if you would, at verses 11 and 12. They were being unruly. Some of the brethren there were being unruly because they were living in the shadows of the Christ's second coming. And so what they were doing is they quit working. They quit doing what they were supposed to be doing because they had it in their own mind that Paul's been preaching this, that Jesus is coming today. And he could. But nowhere in Scripture are we ever told to stop working. I was telling Wendy... Uh, I remember we were we were go, we went to an IF Beach or Independent Fundamentals Baptist Church for a while and and I, and I remember uh, there was a guy there he came and he was teaching on the end times and he leans over the pulpit and he goes you want to play a trick on the devil and I'm going what 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 is this he goes charge up all your credit cards and leave all the debt to the devil because Jesus is coming tonight I mean these people are insane. And this is what's happening. Paul's saying, don't be unruly. I know Christ is coming, but you've got to keep working. You've got to keep staying busy with godly things. Look at First Thessalonians chapter 4. He addresses it there in verse number 11. I know we've we looked at this, but I want you to see. Listen to what he says. In light of what they're doing, and, be, uh, and that ye study and be quiet and do your own business. In other words, mind your own business. That's what that means. Study, be working out these things, even though in the light of Christ's coming. Look what he says there. To work with your own hands as we commanded you. Listen. See, that nonsense that preacher from the IFB said, all it does is really make the, 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 the Christian look foolish to the world. You remember back in 2011, there was a guy, <laughs> he, he's telling everybody, I guarantee Jesus is coming. I guarantee it. But the Bible says it. And what were those people doing that were following him? Brother Harold Camping, remember that? You know what they did? They sold everything they had. They all quit working. It's stunning. And uh, May 11th came and went. And they're all going, what happened? Well, you were outside of the will of God. You weren't doing and following scripture. You sold everything you have. People literally jumped off bridges and committed suicide because of it. Now, brethren, again, this is why. You must stay within the confines of Holy Scripture. When you get outside of that, you're going to go places you never thought you'd ever go. But look what Paul, look what he says there. It's an amazing thing. You be busy with your own hands. In fact, look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, where we're going next. I told Wendy, I think I've preached through 2 Thessalonians because they're so closely tied together. It's the same warnings that he's giving. Again, They were convinced that the Lord was coming the next minute. So Paul, again, for the second time, has to address what they're doing, the unruly. Look there, if you would, at verse number 6. Now we commend you, brethren, command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh, what? Disorderly, and not after the tradition which which ye received of us, Look at verse 7, for you yourselves know how how you ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Again, this is the orderly thing. This is what he's saying. Now, continue on there if you would. Verse number 8, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Again, Paul is preaching the second coming, and yet he's looking at the men, at the brethren there and saying, (laughs) you're disorderly if you stop working and stop acting like we don't have to be uh, held accountable for what we do. Look at verses 11 and 12. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are what? Busybodies. Now, brethren, again, when the scripture warns us once, uh, generally that should be what, what my dad used to, he, he would kind of do this on occasion. Now, my dad was an old German, and uh, he, he'd walk by me and he'd give me a kick in the pants. And you know what he'd say? Mike, that's an attention getter. When the scriptures say one thing, say once, that is an attention getter. When he addresses it three times in, in, the, in two letters, there's a problem. And brethren, just like today, men don't want to work. Have you ever noticed, and again, I don't want to sidetrack, but sometimes I do this. Have you ever noticed how the Bible-believing Christian has been accused of being mean? Mean and ungodly and unholy because you look at a man who's, uh, as I tell my children, we drive around and there's, you know, uh, you see these 45 50 year old men, uh, you know, riding a riding a pedal bike, right? Clearly, and what do I always say? Now, children, there is a series of bad what life choices. Sometimes people get in a situation because. They make a lot of bad life choices. And then we as Christians are mean because we tell those people to get a job. Go to work. But we're mean. I think Paul also wrote, didn't he? If a man won't work, he won't what? Eat. Now should we take care of the brethren who cannot work? Whose job is that? Is it the government's job? Is it the government's job to take care of the brethren who cannot work? I mean, the filthiness of all that, the unholiness. Again, we were talking last night, Western culture. No, the church should be taking care of the brethren who fall on hard times. Just like we should take care of our parents when they get old, like me, children. Remember this, Isaac. Guys, don't forget this now. Don't put me in a nursing home. That's so Western culture. It's so ungodly and unholy. It's just a sick thing, you brethren. It really is, unless, of course, it's to the point where you can't. But most of the time, people shuck their parents, who took care of them all their lives, into some institution. And brethren, that institution does not love them like you do, or like you're supposed to. That's what Paul is saying, man. We we uh, we need to be, um, if you will, watching out for those who are disorderly and bodily busy. Bodies. I like what one pastor said. He said, the, the Lord's second coming was so near that they had stopped working. The command Paul gives is directed to stir up the loafers and order them to do their duty. And, brethren, as Christians, this is what we do again. So it doesn't bring irrepute on who? On the Lord. Laziness, slackfulness. No, we are to exercise godliness. We are to prove those things. We are to examine and exhort those things that God has put in his word. It's a glorious thing. But see, again, we, 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 we come to a place where, again, they're only words the pastor's saying if the Holy Spirit doesn't instill it in you and in me, in my heart, which then causes me to what? Act godly. Just to hear it, it's like James said, right? Don't be just a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. And again, this is so instructional and so important to us. Look back there at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 14. Let's see the second thing Paul tells us to do. He says, first of all, warn, now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Now look at here, comfort the feeble-minded. Now, it's so interesting as we, as we look at this text, because the church is full of different kinds of people. The church is full of different kinds of people, and Paul's addressing that. So Howard, as elders, as leaders, Dean, as leaders, we need to examine this and understand this, that the church is full of different kinds of people. Paul now addresses the feeble-minded. <laughs> well, what is feeble-minded? I'm glad you asked. That word literally means those who are small-souled, those who are little-spirited, faint-hearted. And brethren, there are some like that in the church. There's no question about that. Now, these brethren tend to be timid, those who worry and become fretful and easily lose heart. Now, again, we know they're there because Paul is telling us that they were there you see the relevancy? There are some maybe possibly in our own congregation this morning who are feeble-hearted. They are fearful and fretful. But thank the Lord there are others who are not. Others who are to uphold them. Others who are to come alongside of them. Others who by by the loving grace of God have given you such a glorious, fearless spirit. Feeble-minded. In fact. When you look there, that word "comforted,", comforted literally or "comfort" literally means they need a brother or a sister to come alongside them, amen. To prod and encourage them, to strengthen them. Because as I said last week, maybe next week I might be the one who's faint-hearted. I might need you to come alongside me and apply this same thing. You see how it works here. It's a family. It's a family of God. It's a, f- a group of people who have been brought together all with different, uh, uh, if you will, talents in, in different ways. Look, it's, it's, it's like the guy that was on his hands and knees fearfully crawling across a, a, a river. So ice, guess he's crawling across and he hears this noise. And he looks behind him and there's a semi-truck. It <laughs> just comes ripping by him. One's very faint hearted and fearful. The other one is just, let's go. Let's just go and get this done. This is what we see here. This is what Paul is addressing. The faint hearted. Now listen. This is something again that does inflict. Or I shouldn't say inflict. It is something that is sometimes part of one's makeup. Even as they're saved. This is part of their makeup. I want you to look at Isaiah. Look over in chapter Isaiah. I want you to see this. Look at verse or chapter 35. Look here. This again is not nothing new. This is an Old Testament again principle. But again. What are those who are strong and not fearful in the Lord to do? What are we to do for those who are faint-hearted, those who lose heart rather quickly? Well, Isaiah, the Old Testament evangelical prophet and preacher, preached more about Christ than any other Old Testament prophet ever did. He says this. Look at Isaiah chapter 35. Look at verses three and four. What's that first word? <laughs> strengthen ye the weak hands, and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are fearful. Do you see that there? Weakness, feebleness, faint-heartedness. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, Pastor Mike's not with you. What is it? Your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense, he will come and what? Save you. God uses those who are strong in the church to come along those side, those who are feeble-hearted, faint-hearted, to say these things to them. Don't be fearful. Don't be so faint-hearted. God himself will come and take care of whatever it might be. Amen? But again, we see this. The church has people who are indeed like this. They are timid. They are born that way. They are, if you will, that way. I like what John MacArthur said. He said this. The unruly were pushing the edges of acceptable Christian behavior. (laughs) You're not working. You're giving the Lord a bad name. They're pushing the edges of Christian behavior. Then he says this. These were the worried sheep, huddled in the middle and afraid to get near the edge. However, brethren, listen to this. Now, such should be encouraged. We should not despise them, but comfort them, come alongside them, and who knows what a good and a kind word and comfortable word may do for them. Do you see how that works? It's the church. It's a church full of all kinds of people. And yet here we see God himself instructing us on how we are to be, to exercise our godly mindset. It is quite a stunning thing when you consider all of these things. Now listen, not only are we to comfort the feeble-minded, look back at chapter chap- 5, look at verse 14. See, this is why we're not going to get... Uh, through all the verses, but I always read the verses in context, right, Howard? The, the first rule of interpretation is context. The second rule of interpretation is context. The third, uh, you know, it's in, it's context, and so you must read it in context. And here we have some glorious passages. Look at First Thessalonians chapter five. Look at there now. Look what he says in that verse. The third thing we are to do. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded. Look at the next one, support the weak. (laughs) Again, brethren, there are those who are strong in the Lord, there are those who are feeble in the Lord, there are those who are weak in the Lord. And again, we see this here. Now, you can be weak in the Lord and be 65 years old. You can be weak in the Lord and you can be 12 years old or 15 years old or 25 years old. It really has to do here, this word has to do with maturity in the Lord. It's maturity. Where are you at? And this is the thing, brethren, again, that we have to be very careful of as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. To be, be very observant of these things. I remember a brother used to say to me all the time again. He goes, I'm 60 years old and I don't know very much. Well, praise the Lord. You don't know much now, but you will as you exercise your godly mindset and you work through the word of God and you grow in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? I mean, isn't that what we are to do? It's amazing. A weak brother or sister is one who is literally without strength, one who is immature in their faith. They need someone, again, the idea to come alongside them. This is the whole idea of fellowship and being up close and discipleship is to have them come alongside them, amen, to uphold, to support them, Paul says, because they generally don't even know the elementary teachings of God's word. And if you don't know the elementary teachings of God's word, you can't what? You can't apply them to your own life and experience. (laughs) That's one of the things that's glorious about having some experiences. Not in the new age way, but in a biblical way. People always ask me, if you could have stopped aging, when would you have stopped? I said 40. 40? Yes, 40. Because at 40, you don't look like this. You have your youthful look. You're youthful yet. You feel good. When you get older like me, you don't feel good that much anymore. There's always something. Ailing you, but at forty years old, listen. Forty years old, you're youthful, and brethren, you have some godly wisdom that you didn't have when you were twenty. This is it. There's something to living the Christian life and experiencing it out, so that those who are weak in the faith and to mature the faith can come alongside and 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 really consider what God has done for those who have been in the Lord for a long, long time. I remember again, not to keep going back to myself, I don't want to talk about myself, but I remember sitting as a young Christian in the pew and somebody would get up and give their testimony. they have been saved for 30 years and they would talk about all the things the Lord has done for them all along the way leading up to that. And I go, boy, that would be amazing. Well, guess what, brethren? Now I can do that. Now I can look back. Now I can say, look at how faithful God was. Bing, 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 35 years. Bing, 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 look what God has done. And yet sometimes it's amazing. My wife knows me best. I can be feeble-minded and faint of heart. It's a stunning thing. Again, this is a work of God. This is something that we must work together as brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's why we're the family of God. We're not individual islands to ourselves. you go try and be an island and see what happens to you. It'll happen to you like it happens to everyone who does not have a good local church. It always does. It always will. You will fade away. You will drift away. Yes, you will. 100% of the time when Israel did not listen to God, Howard likes my... Well, it's kind of a weird illustration. I stole it from some pastor somewhere. When you put on a white glove, brethren, and you put that white glove in the mud, does the mud ever get white? Never. The glove always gets muddy. Always. And that's what happens to us when we act like islands and we're not together as the family of God. Working out these godly exercises... Towards one another. That's why this is so important. In fact, Paul says in Romans chapter fifteen. Just look there again. This was another theme that Paul, as the Holy Ghost led him to write these words. Well, here, it, of course, he was he was dictating. <laughs> Tertius was writing. Paul was dictating under the Spirit of God. But here's by the Spirit of God. Here's what verse fifteen, chapter one. Look, or fifteen, cha- verse number one. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, not to please ourselves. Do you see the work there? That, that's a godly, holy ghost-led work because by nature, by default, we are what? What are we? You can say it. We're selfish, self-centered. Well, maybe you aren't, but I know me. My wife knows me. I'm never going to let her get up and give a report on me either. Maybe she should. <laughs> the strong are to support the weak. Those who are light in the faith, those who have not been in the faith very long, those who are swirling around, we must come alongside. Now, look what it says. Verse 2: Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good. To what? edification, for even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach fell on me. Verse 4, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience, which we're going to get to here in just a moment, and comfort of the scriptures may have hope. This is the idea. The idea here is the weak taking care, or the strong taking care of the weak. Now listen, one more verse on exercising. Because, again, as you look at me, I know you think I'm down in the weight room all the time working and exercising. Actually, if my son Elijah stood next to me, see, again, can I use that as an illustration? I mean, the guy's huge. He, you know, he walks in, he can't get his elbows close to his side. And, and, and I promise you, he sat almost next to me last night, didn't he, guys? And you know what? My physique never changed a bit. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It happens by exercise, by work. This is how it works. This is the hard work of Christianity. This is the glorious grace of God at work in the lives of Christians. Being able to live this in such a way. Look at Hebrews chapter 5. Just read this to you quickly. Another verse since we're talking about exercising. And strengthening ourselves and growing in the Lord. That's what spiritual exercise does. Hebrews chapter 5 couple of things I want to draw to our attention this morning here in this verse. Look there if you would at verse number 12. Hebrews chapter 5, look at verse number 12. The Bible says, For when for for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need some of milk, and not strong meat. Now listen. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe. Brethren, you don't want to stay a babe. The idea here is not to stay a babe. No matter where you're at in your Christian walk, you should be moving forward. Whether you are a babe in the Lord or whether you've been a seasoned saint for many years, you should always be plowing. That's one of the things. When I went to the Shepherds Conference uh, a few years ago, it was stunning. I think John MacArthur is probably, I believe he is the, uh, if you will, the Charles Spurgeon of our era. And one of the most interesting things was he was sitting, I was sitting right by him, he was right here. And Paul Washer got up to preach. And you know what? It was stunning. It was kind of scary. Paul Washer is a scary dude. I don't know if you guys have ever been around him, but he's, he's really an intense fellow. And you know what I saw? I saw John MacArthur, who was at that time probably 75, who's been faithful in the work of the Lord all of his life. What does he do? Pulls out his notebook, listens to Paul Washer preach, and he's taking notes. He never stops learning. We shouldn't do it, brethren. Never. You haven't arrived. Neither have I. If you think a infinite being, us, can arrive at the infinites of God and know everything about God and how I should act concerning him, you are in trouble. We are to grow in the Lord, the infinite God. How do we do that? Look what it says here. I want you to, again, he is a babe. But strong meat belongs unto them that are full age, though are mature, even those who by reason of use, again, there's activity going on here, by reason of use, listen, by reason of use, have their senses exercised that they may discern good and evil. The idea here again is not osmosis. It is not neutrality. It is not just sitting here. It is use. It is the using of the godly mindset that the Lord, when he saves you, puts in you. Which then, you then what? It should translate to the works that Paul is asking the brethren to do for one another. If they're missing, brethren, I'm just saying this morning, if they're missing in your life, please... Please examine yourself. (laughs) Examine where you're at. This is what this does to us. It makes us examine them. Now, brethren, let me just say this. There is indeed a proclivity for the mature Christian to push the weak away from us and sometimes in exasperation. (laughs) Oh, okay, it's just me. Okay, just, just me, just I do that sometimes. We have a proclivity to do that. However, the mature Christian is to exercise their godly care and uphold those who are weak until they can get on their, if you will, spiritual feet, so to speak. Discipleship bringing them along. This is what we are called by the Lord, by the Holy Ghost, by his grace, and by Paul's words to do. Now look there if you would. Paul as we uh, got to bring this to a close again, I knew a couple of verses and we'd be finished. But this really is the glue, brethren. What Paul says next in our text is the glue for all of us. It is. You cannot exercise these godly characteristics without this glue. And that glue is patience. Patience. Look there if you would. At our verse. Look at verse number 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble minded, support, come alongside the weak, and be patient toward all men. And again, brethren, as I said, this is indeed the glue, the intricate ingredient, I called it patience, which is a characteristic, a supernatural characteristic that is produced by the Holy Ghost. Can I tell you that word patient, what it means here? And brethren, this is something that we all must learn. It literally means to be, and I'm going to, I put a whole bunch of O's in my word, long-tempered, long-suffering. Oh yeah, that's what that word means. We are to be long-tempered towards those who are weak in the church toward those who are faint-hearted in the church, and we are to be long-tempered to those who are even outside the church. I remember Ray Comfort one time was preaching at one of the colleges in California, and someone asked him, why are you here? Why are you, these people are blind. And, and, and Ray Comfort looked at him and said, "Well, well, you know, here's the thing, right? I mean, are you going to stick your foot out and trip a blind man? I don't think so. So you should be here just long-suffering, long-in-preaching like Paul loved to do. That's what I loved about going through Acts. It was such a long time in preaching. Here it is to be long-tempered, to be long-suffering. In fact, this word is really has to do with not being hastily, uh, if you will, to retaliate towards someone not to hastily retaliate, nor does it uh, promptly punish. This word is associated, if you will, with mercy. That's what it is. You should be long in mercy towards people. Long in mercy. In fact, if you really love them, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, just a couple of passages here, and we'll, we'll bring this to a close. We are Puritans, so if we stay here, oh, I don't know, for another couple hours, we'll be okay. Paul here in 1 Corinthians. He he gives us 16 attributes of love. And one of the attributes especially sticks out to us. And again, it's one that the Holy Ghost must give to you. Because again, I love myself a lot. And for me to love others is a work of the Spirit of God. Look there at verse 4. Charity suffereth what? No, no. Long. Brethren, it suffereth long. It's long word out there. Oh, but not us. We live in an instant society, don't we? I mean, now my wife doesn't normally do this. She makes real potatoes, but there is a box of instant potatoes in the, in the cupboard, which doesn't happen. I mean, I'm just saying. Because I like to peel potatoes. That's a weird thing I have. Peel, I like peeling potatoes. It's just weird. I don't know. Instant macaroni and cheese you throw in the microwave the grossest stuff ever I think you throw it in there for 45 seconds you have it instantly everything's got to be instant Wendy can I tell our first computer was huge this thing took up this I wouldn't have room for the pulpit I'd have to look over the top of it we set it on our kitchen table remember in 1992 whenever that was Well, that's a long time ago and we turned it on and Brother James, he'll remember this, because he's, he's a techno guy. And remember Microsoft, they had that little hourglass that would spin. It would sit there and spin like that. I don't know, dear. That thing spun for three minutes. And we're just going, wow, look at this. Brethren, we wouldn't wait for three seconds. Now, if my phone doesn't load now, what's going on with this thing? I've got to reset it. There's a problem here. Honey, what's wrong with my phone? We're to be long-suffering with the weak, with those who need us. Oh, brethren, it's so important. This application by the Spirit of God cannot be understated. How needful this really is. In fact, look at Galatians chapter 5. If you're a Christian this morning, this, of course, is included This is a glorious thing. This is something that the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit, gives to you and I. We just have to exercise it. And again, this is what we're saying. Exercise. Using. Not not temporarily, but habitually. Habitually. Look at Galatians chapter 5. Look there. Paul just got done in the earlier verses speaking about uh, the flesh the spirit they're fighting against each other and he lays out some of the things that are the flesh we don't want those we fight those those are by our nature that's what we do then he says this verse 22 but the fruit of the spirit is what love joy look what he says peace what's that next word say it with me long suffering long suffering that's a gift of the spirit That's something that the Christian deep down inside has. We've got to exercise that towards one another, brethren. Again, it doesn't happen by osmosis. Brethren, listen. We all know irritating people. We all know people who can get on your nerves, I mean, just like that. God has instructed you and I as Christians, mature Christians who have the Holy Spirit living in us, to look at them, have compassion on them, and be long-suffering." Amazing, isn't it? Easily said. I spit there. Easily said. Hard to practice when we don't exercise it daily and on a consistent basis. As we exercise it, guess what? We get stronger in it. We become more fit in it. God tunes us and transforms us so that we, indeed, can be that kind of Christian towards Oh, man. In fact, one pastor said, we are to manifest a long fuse before we blow up. Instant rage is an unholy thing towards the people of God and towards anyone. And I'm a German. Before I was saved, I promise you, I had a temper like none other. A fuse... You know you ever get them firecrackers You like, and it goes off in your hand? That was me. And you know what I'm still working on? Not that I, not that I blow that quickly but sometimes things build up. <laughs> they build up and it keeps building up and then you're saying how can I release this Lord? Do I blow up? No, 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 no. You be patient. It is the gift of the Spirit. That's something, brethren, we must work on and exercise. And finally... Let us hear, if they will, if we can, just finish this up. Look at what he says there in verse number 15. First Thessalonians chapter 5, look at verse number 15. I just want to get this, uh, brethren, finished up because next week, Lord willing, there's a whole lot of things about the inner man that we're going to see. It's the inner man that he's going to address now after addressing the, the elders, after addressing the leaders in the church, after addressing us as brothers and sisters together and how we are to behave. And, and you want to know the most amazing thing about our text, That, Lord willing, next week? If you look at the verses which Howard so gracefully led, that is the major portion of the text. And it has to deal with me. It has to deal with the inner man. Dealing with me. Stunning, isn't it? Because as I said, these things that the, restness, the, un- the, the restlessness and the, the lack of peace comes from usually inner, the inner man, us. It's rooted in us. Look at verse 15 quickly. He says, see that none render evil for evil unto any man. But ever follow. Brethren, again, action verbs, lots of them. Ever follow. You know what that means? It means to race after. It means to chase it down. Ever follow, he says what? That which is good, both among yourselves and all men. So in other words, we are to race, we are to beat feet towards these good things. Ever follow them. Ever chase them down. Ever grab on to them. Now, this is really quite a warning with, see that none. Paul warns us against the unholy attitude of revenge. I think this is probably one of the hardest ones, the godly things to exercise. Don't you? I mean, somebody pulls out in front of you. Maybe it's just me. It happened last Wednesday night. I had to control myself on the way home, Howard. I don't know if you'd have been happy with me or not. I'm right here. And people act like they could just pull out. Literally, I'm right here. He sees me. There's not a car for 400 miles behind me. And he says, there's Mike. That's Pastor Mike. Let's go ahead and get him. And not only do they pull out, they drive 30 miles an hour. Now, if I pull out in front of somebody, it's I'm on the floor. It's, mm, pedal down. I'm chasing after. I'm following after. And what did the controlled Pastor Mike do? The patient Pastor Mike, he could not... I'm confessing now, Howard, we may have to have a conversation afterwards. I got right on his bumper and I flipped my high beams right on. (laughs) Yep. Seth, were you with me? I was fairly controlled, though. Oh, and the other kids were, too. Setting a very bad example for my children. We must be we must be if you will here that Paul is saying he's, he, you know, this is, is indeed one of the hardest things to do in fact most Christians they take nothing lying down the law of the jungle is in effect you understand this I will pay you back if it is the last thing I do no brethren Vengeance belongeth unto who? Unto God. This again is a grace. This again is a practicing grace, if you will, exercise. That is the hardest, I think, to do. Because we are indeed born after our father, Adam. It's a stunning thing. This attitude of vengeance usurps and literally takes the place of God's perfect retribution. This is what it does. Now, I told you, turn to Romans chapter 12. Again, we'll finish two verses or two, 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 two verses here and we're done. Romans chapter 12. Isn't it glorious? John Calvin said that the book of Romans is a glorious Christian uh, edifice. When you understand the book of Romans, he said it is such a glorious thing because it, 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 it helps the lost it tells the lost where they are, it tells us how to be saved, it tells us how to live, what we should do. I mean, it's a glorious, one of Paul's highest achievements of the Spirit of God led him to write these, or to dictate these words to Tertius. Look at verse number 14, Romans chapter 12. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Do you see the familiarity how the family is to work together when one weeps we all weep when one rejoices we should all rejoice we're all one be of the same mind one toward another mind not the things but condescend to men of low estate be not wise in your own conceits look at verse 17 recompense no man evil for evil provide things honest in the sight of all men do you see that again not to bring reproach on God the Christian should not do that If it be possible, as much as it lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place, look what it says, unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Now brethren, that is a difficult thing. It really is. Imagine someone taking one of your children and killing them. Taking one of your children and doing something to them. How in the world, apart from the Spirit of God, does one not take vengeance? Do you see the difficulty in that? And yet when we do that, we do indeed take the place of God's perfect vengeance. How he will deal with that. Imagine, well, we know it couldn't have happened, but just think of the Apostle Paul. Before he was saved, what was he doing? He was killing every Christian in sight. Every one of them. He was killing them and putting them in prison, doing all these things. Imagine, imagine what the Lord did to him. Changed him completely. No one could have known but the Lord himself. Imagine if someone, they were trying to re, you know, bring vengeance upon him, but he was protected by the Lord through that. But the idea here is we do not know. We must leave room for the Lord's vengeance there. Now, Peter also, in 1 Peter chapter 3, I'll just give you the verse, verses 8 through 13. And we know, 1 Peter, there's five chapters. And you know it's in every chapter of that book? Persecution. It's mentioned in every chapter, every last one. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Persecution. Nero's coming. Persecution. Persecution. And what does Paul or Peter write to the brethren there? He says, do not render evil for evil. Leave it unto who? The Lord. Leave it in his hands. And again, that is a mature Christian trusting in the Lord's work in their life. As a mature Christian, we should never seek revenge or vengeance, but let God take up our cause. We must, as Paul says in our text, always pursue what is good, both for ourselves and every man. And again, that word pursue means to run after the good. Don't just stroll after it, but literally chase it down. By the grace of God, this is what we should do. Brethren, let me close. Godly exercise does not happen by osmosis. You're going to have that line down in your brain because it's so important. It does not happen by osmosis. It does not. It happens by the grace of God in a very specific and very intentional manner. Amen? It is a stunning thing as we are conformed by the Spirit of God to the will of God. Now Listen. Our physical bodies are in accord with every other individual part of our body. You know how I know this? Because when I hit my finger with a hammer, all of the parts of my body react. That hurts. Your eyes look. Your other hand grabs it. You're probably doing this, like like I do. You, You do that. Every part of the body is affected, every part of it, by one part just being injured. This is the church. This is just like the body of Christ. We must indeed, brethren, be long-suffering. We must be patient. We must be loving and kind. We must ask the Lord to help us. And this is a, Brother Howard, this is a biblical word. We must ask him to discipline us in this. That we might exercise it. That we might work it out that we might be strengthened in it, that we might do it continually so that it, indeed, brethren, it gets easier and easier and easier. Just like the physical body, like my son Elijah, if I could get him up here, you'd die laughing. Little puny me, big hymn. But you must exercise the spiritual, the inner man. This is what Paul is concerned with, and we're going to see that, Lord willing, next week as we bring our text to a close. 16, so yeah, there's a few verses next week. But you look there, read the text, right towards the end. Paul puts things in good order for us. He says, may the God, may he bring you holy, literally the word holy there. And you look, it's soul, spirit, and body. You see that? He's got the order right. We screw the order up. It's always the body we're worried about, not Paul, not God. He's worried about the soul, the spirit, and then the body. So we'll see that next week, brethren. Let's pray together. Father, we, again, are thankful this morning for the word of God. Oh, yes, our feelings change. Sometimes they blow like the wind. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Father, we are in desperate need this morning of beseeching the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, to bring to remembrance these words of Paul. As we leave this place, as we're driving, as we're working tomorrow, may you bring these things, O Lord, to our minds. That we might begin to practice and exercise these things. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. There's going to be the irritating part. There's going to be all kinds of things that may come your way tomorrow. This is why, Lord, we pray that the Spirit will illuminate these things that we might indeed begin to exercise these godly traits. Father, we thank you again for your grace, your mercy, oh my. Thank you for you seeking us. Thank you for you saving us. Thank you, Lord, for sealing us by the Holy Ghost. For the day of redemption, we ask and pray all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.